Kata Koto. Welcome to the Thinking Matters podcast. I'm Michelle Englehart. And I'm Rowan Locke. Today we have Director of LifeNet New Zealand and Left Foot Media, the brilliant and funny Brendan Malone. Brendan was our main keynote speaker at all five of our Confident Christianity conferences this year. He's one of the founders of Activate Pro-Life Training Week, an annual philosophy, apologetics and media, social media training event for young adults which has been running for the past 10 years. Brendan is joining us from Canterbury, where he lives with his wife Katie and five children. Welcome Brendan, we are so pleased to have you here today with us on our show. Um, this is our fifth podcast, so we're really excited about that. And uh, yeah, just welcome along. Oh look, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, Thinking Matters is awesome. So uh, for me, this is a pleasure. Awesome. So what we will begin with is we just want to know a little bit about your faith journey. Um, were you brought up with faith or, you know, and where along the line did you actually make that decision? Yeah, well, for me, I, I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, my parents were, um, it was kind of a funny experience growing up in my home, but my, my parents were both very um, committed, charismatic Catholics. Wow. And, uh, and so, yeah, what a mix. And, um, and so um, I remember from a very young age having a, a keen sense of, of not just the existence of God and not just a home where faith was very real, but also a tangible sense of God's calling and the supernatural and the, the spiritual dimension to the human existence and to sort of God's order of creation. And, and I, yeah, from a really, really young age, and, and I, I remember there were little incidents, little signposts. I'm so grateful for, for the way in which God has worked in my life that were just these little indicators of his existence and presence. And um, I remember as a very young boy actually being at a charismatic prayer meeting and I uh, and, and receiving a, like a prophetic scripture from God and, and then taking it up the front to share. And I was young. I was really like primary school young. And I took it up to share. And they have a little, um, this particular prayer meeting had a little discernment team. So obviously they were quite, they didn't want anyone taking the microphone and saying any old crazy thing. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, which is very wise. Yes. And so um, I, 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 I took it up, sort of, you know, mustered up my courage and walked over to this discernment team. And they said to me, um, this is amazing. That's the exact same scripture passage as the guy in front of you and it was it was unbelievable and like little things like that and so yes faith was always a a very big and important part of um, my life I think probably it got a lot more real for me when I was about 16 years of age um, three uh, people they, they were uh, older but young people who I really looked up to mm -hmm. who um, I knew were, were killed in a car accident mm -hmm. and um, I was um, I was actually almost in that vehicle with them. And so there was just, there was some circumstances that I didn't end up going. It was actually quite, again, I think the hand of God was at work. Mm. And um, that moment, a lot of my friends around me really, it became this moment of suffering where they sort of began to question the existence of God. For me, I went the other way. And I really thought, man, I've got to get my life sorted out and I've got to just throw myself into uh, God in an even bigger way and it sort of it really hasn't there's been plenty of mistakes along the way and plenty of slip-ups and all the usual you know we all the frailties and a bit of black backsliding and all that sort of stuff along the way but yeah but really it was that point that was the the, the big moment for me really I think wow yes it's amazing how a, a tragedy can push you either way mm. really and I guess it's a constant conscious choice on your own behalf of of which way you go yeah. With that. yeah, 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 yeah. It, it it really is so true. Like it's it's um, as I said, I saw people who just who sadly they they lost, 
what little faith they had. And I think part of that is a maturity of faith thing for sure. Um, you know, do you believe in God who is effectively just a Santa Claus who's going to give you everything you want? That's right. Or are you, do you have a, a much more, um, you know, uh, I think theologically and scripturally grounded vision of who God is and he's the God who suffers with us and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And, but for me, it really, I actually got a fright and, 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 and I thought, man, if I had have gone to stand before God that day alongside them, would I have been ready? That, that, that was that was my reaction to it. Yeah, mm. might not have been so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's that's actually really really powerful. Mm. Um, so. Oh, well, I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> no, I was going to say that. It, actually, interesting because I've been rereading the Faith and Belief in New Zealand survey that was taken back in mm. 2018 um, to see, you know, its continued re- relevance and maybe some shifts and things. And it's like one of the one of the big reasons people get have a faith that's blocked you know they've got belief blockers is the problem of evil pain suffering sort of thing like that but then actually equally the other side is like what was the thing that brought you to faith and it was like 20 percent of people or something like that said that oh we experienced a major tragedy so it's as much a mechanism for bringing people can be as much a mechanism for pe- bringing people closer to god rather than just throwing them away from god so yeah do you think yeah, it has, has something to do name. with like where your faith actually is um, at the time uh, and, and, yeah. and your relationship with God? I, th- I think so. Um, and I think it, it, so much what I'm seeing now, particularly as I'm getting older and as a you know, parent with my own children, I realize just how important the, those establishing years are for formation for children and what, what that grounds the human person in, whether yeah. they get a good grounding in the faith early on. And also an authentic grounding in the faith that, you know, mum and dad live it themselves. They have a genuine relationship with God that's prayerful and it's that sort of in the home. So I had that. And then I think also I had a very clear understanding of, of, um, of, of heaven and hell, right and wrong, final judgment. I understood those things. And that it wasn't like that was, you know, that, that might sound like, you know, I don't know, some sort of weird, crazy Southern Baptist type, you know, are you going to hell today, son, type <laughs> yeah. home. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. But but there was, it, it was, the truth was there. And so I understood the stakes and it, I, I wasn't, we weren't in some Christian universalist house or some some sort of, you know, very therapeutic social club that we called Christianity. It was real. The stakes were real. And so when that moment happened for me when I was about 16, I understood what the stakes, the eternal consequences, and the state, and, and what the stakes were at that level as well. Yeah. So at sixteen, did you have any idea at all um, the call that God has actually placed on your life, which you're obviously living out now as an adult? Did you have any sense of that, or, we, or did you have to journey a bit further before that? Uh, I I had to journey. Uh, it's 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 been such a phenomenal journey, really. Um, and, and I went right away as far as you could probably go through my early twenties. Um, you know, I was in the commercial sector and, and, and I, it was, yeah, I thought I would, that was going to be my, it was quite funny actually. It was almost like, cause, cause quite from, from quite a young age, I had a desire. I, I had this idea. I wanted to be either a police officer or a security consultant. And I didn't really understand what a security consultant was, but I sort of <laughs> liked the idea of going places and telling people how burglars could break into their businesses and how what they needed to do to fix it. I don't know, it was weird from a young age. Also, the other one was an undertaker. That was the, wow. <laughs> the option. And so, so um, 
I ended up, I actually ended up in a role where I was effectively, I was a, a, an electronic security consultant and, and I'm working for a big security firm. And it, the way I ended up in that job was amazing, actually. It was totally phenomenal the way that door opened. But what happened was, it was like, it was almost, I look back now and I was like, God gave me the opportunity. He said, okay, this is what you want. This is what it's like. And I, what, what that allowed me to realize was that wasn't my calling. Yeah. It was what I wanted, but it wasn't really my calling. And, and, and if I hadn't, I'm the sort of guy, if I hadn't had that experience, I don't think I would have realized and, and understood the depth of what God was calling me to. So I went right away from the calling, if you like. And then th these other doors, again, God brought me back. And when those doors opened, I knew I had to go through them. But one thing I, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, it's funny you asked this question because I was thinking about this very thing the other day. And I remember I must have been, I think I might have even only been 15, 14 or 15 at the time this happened. But I remember having someone pray for me at a, uh, it was a church event actually. And there was a, um, this word of knowledge and, and I don't remember all of it, but I remember some of the key aspects of, uh, there was this word that, you know, you would have a calling on your life. Like David, one of the really important things was that you mustn't run ahead of the horses though. God, God is the one who will lead. And, and, and that's really what happened in my life. Um, and, and, that God did that, that calling very clearly did start to unfold, but I, it really took me a while to realize, oh, wow, God really is at work here. And this is his calling, not my, just not just me doing things I mm. want to do. You know, It's interesting not running ahead of the horses because mm. you're such an energetic person and you've got so much going on, which we'll talk about soon. Um, was it difficult for you not to run ahead of the, the horses? <laughs> oh, constantly. And it still was my battle. And it's only really in the recent, last couple of years that I'm really learning what that means. I think becoming a father was transformative mm. um, for me in that regard, because I, I'm, I'm still probably far too impatient. I'm, I've got an Irishman <laughs> in me, and, I, you know, and an, an Irishman just tends to fly off the handle. Right, let's have a fight then. And, 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 I, and I, you know, that, that sort of, there's that sort of impetus in me. Um, also, um, I remember reading some years ago, Aristotle, I think it was Aristotle who said, you know, he said, you can't even really begin to do philosophy until you turn 40. And, and, and I, I now know in my mid 40s, I think, he, I think I understood what he meant. Yes. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it's a lot of that youthful zeal and impatience. And it was for me, one of the big things is I would often make mistakes, I would be too quick to, to perhaps in the past, maybe too quick to pass judgment or to open my mouth and you know, whatever it would come out, would come out. But I'm, I'm, I'm now um, a big part of that is recognizing so much of that running ahead of the horses was actually allowing God to do his work in maturing me to be ready for the various moments that came. And, um, and that's, I think that was so key to that whole not running ahead of the horses, mm. but it's constant. Another thing that I think, and people probably in this, I'm sure there'll be people who identify with this. You have a calling on your life and you can see perhaps you know, issues that need addressing. The the danger is you want to try and fix all of the issues and you want to you want to take everyone's calling on board and mm. it's not your calling. You know, you see just because you see a problem doesn't mean it's your calling to yeah. minister into that problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard it's hard when you you can see so much <laughs> that yeah. needs to be fixed. And it's just like when you've got sort of that more holistic perspective, obviously, you know, when you get wiser in your years <laughs> yeah. to not want to just try and fix it all. I was like why doesn't somebody just come along and fix it all? <laughs> well, I think day. that's. I he think will. that too. I think it's getting worse too. In a sense, well, worse. Mm -hmm. It's it's getting more. That that challenge is more of a threat in a sense because, in, in many ways, there's a lot less workers in the vineyard. Certainly in New Zealand, you know, mm. we're a very aggressively secularized culture, 
And so those few workers who are in the vineyard and who have really got the faith that, that we want to try and take on too much because we don't see enough laborers around us. Yeah, you know, definitely. It's, it's yeah, quite a challenge. Yeah, that's probably why <laughs> yeah, there's so yeah. much burnout in churches that's as well. Right. You know, yeah. what's yeah. the average yeah. average stay for a youth pastor is like 18 months or something wow, like that in a church. Or it's uh, something wow. very short like that. And yeah. so, yeah, they, they, every, we want to do everything and then we get all burnt out. Yeah, it's interesting that you were talking about, you know, you'd say the wrong thing, etc. And, and God was obviously training you for now because we live in quite a volatile um, sort of culture at the moment with regard to what we speak and your ministry that you do now is obviously all about talking and discussing about some pretty um, some, what some people would say controversial, controversial yeah. topics and so it obviously was God training you for that so that brings us to your ministries because you've got several things going on would you like to share some of what you do to our listeners well really I guess how would I describe it I, I say now I am um I, I believe my calling is to be a, uh, a cultural missionary. Mm. So that is to speak into a culture that is in, it's not really in, de- in decline, it's collapsed, I think, mm. in the West. Yeah. And it's to take the, the, the truth of the Christian culture, you know, that goodness, truth and beauty with Christ at the head and try and um, propose as often and as many ways as possible and to speak into where there might be big errors and propose, you know, goodness and truth. And, 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 and hopefully win converts. And what that means is that even if people don't necessarily embrace Christianity until some point further down the track, initially they might say, hey, you know what? I, I think there's something true about the way that um, that particular idea sounds, you mm. know, about morality or what, whatever, pick an issue, you know? And, and so, um, so that, that's really a big part of my work in this. Um, a lot of this has been in the, in the bioethics space. So the, uh, really the pro-life issues. So, so abortion and euthanasia and human sexuality. And, and, you know, like you say, a lot of people would say very controversial issues. For me, it's like they're just, they're just issues. It's part of the human experience. But probably because I've been in this space so long, I take that for granted. But, yeah, there's no doubt they, they certainly can uh, evoke some very strong reactions in people, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and, and then um, I also, media has always been something on my horizon. And so I have a... I sort of I, I online in particular I do a bit of independent independent media stuff and I have um, something called Left Foot Media which has video and podcast uh, work involved and my wife and I have a new podcast called The Little Flock which is about trying to help people to sort of live out as the as we would say the wheat amongst the darnel how do you live a counterculture in, in the midst of this so so yeah it's it's um it's it's funny and it sort of traverses across a few lines. It's you can't help but cross into politics now because everything's so political in these charged, areas. Yeah. Yes. But but that is a bit of a bit of that in there and and um, yeah. It's I mean I I here's the thing for me I really understand quite clearly. We were talking earlier about the issue of forming uh, and having workers in the vineyard. And one of the things I really see quite clearly now is that God has called and equipped me to help and prepare a new generation of leaders who will probably do amazing things that I won't even be around to actually see or to, to even um, to even know about. I mean, I'll be watching from heaven, hopefully, you know, <laughs> and seeing all the good fruit come there. But but it, uh, my realisation is it's my role is to help equip now um, for, for what comes next. 
Yeah, that's just amazing. I've been watching, I pretty much watch everything that you put out and, and of course, the dispatches as well. Fangirl. Yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> but I'm loving it now that you've got Katie there as well. I had I started to listen to that podcast just this afternoon as well. So we'll put all the details for the different um, streams that you have on, in our show notes as well. So, so anyone that hasn't heard, which, which they probably have. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but we can just put those in there. So that would be really good. So um, just talking about the topic that we wanted to discuss today with you, which was how to live counterculturally um, in this very secular culture that we are living in, particularly in New Zealand at the moment. How would you describe the culture of Aotearoa New Zealand um, at this point in time compared to even 15, 20 years ago, which isn't that long ago, really? No. How have we um, changed? Well, it's interesting. I think it's funny. We, we, there's, I see right now there's several things all happening. There's a there's a there's a breakdown of that um, traditional Judeo-Christian natural law, ethic mm. and culture that we were all. Even if you weren't a Christian, you were steeped in it without knowing it, and that has broken down massively. It really has. I mean, the reason why even 20 years ago, even people who were pro-choice, say on abortion, thought of abortion as like a necessary evil. I don't think that was right, but that's how they thought of it was because they understood there was something wrong with that act. Mm. We've now shifted to a point where it's it's no longer wrong, it's actually celebrated. And mm. and, and that's, you know, there's a big shift, there's a, a breakdown of that. There, we're also in a culture here in New Zealand, which is, I think, is is really trying to figure out who it actually is. Uh, you know, you think about um, uh, Māoridom and, and the sort of the, the Western heritage here. It's not just that, we have uh, Pacifica cultures who are, who, are, who are a big part of our lineage as well. You have now um, Asian and other European cultures, you know, that are actually quite well established now. And we're sort of we're, we're sort of trying to grapple with all of that. What does that mean to our own identity? Then we've also got the situation of we've got this um, imposition, if you like, of like social media technology, which is really destructive to community and 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 can be really harmful in creating the worst kind of behaviours in the human person and in societies that are not helpful for unity. And then I think right now at this moment, there's been sort of almost um, uh, a peeling back of, uh, of things with with COVID and the pandemic. It sort of exposed uh, and created issues and, and exposed other things. So it was sort of we're really we're really in the midst of a, um, a very tumultuous time and a time when we're not just turmoil, but it's it's an uncertainty about who the human person is. You know and that that's. That's uh, that's the profound component that in the past we weren't missing, yeah. and and that's it's a very I would say it's a very dangerous place to be in if to not not just be in crisis but not even know who you are, mm. because your very fundamentals for responding to that crisis are yeah. completely eroded by that loss of awareness. Yeah. So is it a moving away from, as you say, the Judeo-Christian values that the that basically most of the West is based on, um, well, all the West really. Um, so as, as society moves away from that, there just seems to be no solidity to hold on to. It's it's almost yeah. like take God out of the picture, but you still yeah. want all the good things that came from that. Um, yeah. yeah, sort of how do you feel um, that is that part of the cause of, of what we're seeing today? Yeah, I think it is. And what we've got to be careful here is to diagnose what's going on. And there's... Um, because I think one of the tendencies perhaps were from within the Christian church is to say, oh, it's an outside assault. And there's no doubt we are under an outside assault. There's, there's definitely a component of that. But we've also got to acknowledge, I think, that the Christian church has failed to speak into the culture. Yes. 
Mm. And, and I know some people tend to say that kind of thing and what they would tend to mean if it's very politicized is they mean, well, the church is, says too many controversial things and I want it to be nice and comfortable and safe. So it shouldn't, it should change its teachings basically and, and, and be recreated to suit the culture of the day. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that we, I think we got very comfortable and we were in a Western culture that really was steeped in the Judeo-Christian natural law ethic without us even realizing it often. And we took it for granted hmm. and we didn't really, and we allowed ourselves in some ways to be sort of pushed out of the public square at other yeah. times. And as a result now, you've got this culture, you've definitely got an assault happening, but you've also got a problem we contributed to. I think, you know, um, some people say as goes the family, so goes society. I think also it's true that, you know, so goes the church, so goes society. And, and, and the church really needs to be a strong presence and a voice. We often make it one or the other. It's both end. You know, um, it, it's not the church needs to be a, 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 like a social presence that's taking and ministering the love of Christ to the poor and the vulnerable and the broken. It also needs to be the voice of Christ. Yeah. And that means speaking truth and proposing truth and countering serious errors when they arise. And I think that that's, that whole um, presence of the church is broken down in, in both arenas, actually, both the social component and, the, and the, that voice of truth. And so we're, we're really, as a result now, people, um, it, it's just amazing. Even you think about something like the Christmas story, which is so essential, actually, you know, to who we are. We're recording this and we're about to go into the Christmas period. Yeah. And, and but how many young people today, even in schools, would just, you'd, they would, if you said like what's a nativity, they'd go, huh? <laughs> it's a Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, that yeah, and that's mm. it's like this is why. So Christmas Day isn't just another day; it's the very foundational. Like this is the 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 Christian for the Christianity. It's the feast day of the birth of Christ, our, our Savior. But it's also it is the it's the birth of Christ who splits history and and actually leads to the formation of the modern West. Yes. And so much of who we, how we see ourselves is through that lens. But we we were missing the. That, that component of, of, you know, you talk to young kids and like, well, what's the Christmas story? What's Jesus? You know, and then yeah, a lot does, of them may not even know. How does Santa fit into it? Because uh, I don't remember reading about him in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That confused yeah, yeah. me Thank to you. no end. And I was, and, and rabbits and Easter as well. I was just like, so where does the rabbit come in the Bible? I don't know. <laughs> well, well, see, here's the funny thing about that. And, and so like that, ironically, so Santa comes from St. Nicholas, who mm. is... He's the original Santa. He's this Christian saint who takes gifts and gives them to the poor. Yeah. And that's where that, and we, we've allowed the Coca-Cola version of Santa Claus to take yeah. over. Yeah. The red uh, one. He, he also, Nicholas, uh, St. Nicholas was also, um, he's the guy in the early church. There's a, a guy called Arius who promotes the Arian heresy, very serious era of what called Christology, who Christ is. And him and Arius, and Nicholas, apparently, at one of the early Christian church councils, came to blows, like fight, fist fight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I'd love famous, to see Saint Nick, was, he's Saint Nick throwing he, down. Well, he did. He punched a heretic. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, um, you know, this is this beautiful, rich traditions that we've lost touch with. The Easter mm. Bunny is the symbol of new life. And, and of course, why? Because Easter is the resurrection of Christ. Yes. And there's so much there that is actually we're, we're steeped in it, but we don't realize, mm. wow, this is, this is our Christian faith that gave the world this. Yeah. Vision of reality.
Yeah, there seems to be um, kind of this misinformation um, that it's all come from the Greeks and, you know, yeah, but actually, yeah, yeah it's, it's it, we're, we're Christianized basically in the West, so Christianized that we don't even know we are. Yeah. It's quite yeah. interesting. I always said, I was like, oh, isn't it a crazy coincidence that it's springtime around Easter time and that's <laughs> usually when a lot of rabbits are bred, uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's 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 like yeah the thing too is that this beautiful heritage of like you say you, michelle you're talking about the greeks and mm. yeah there is the greek philosophy what you have is some of these like aristotle in particular for example he discovers these natural law truths that mm. god has built into his creation but it's actually christianity that elevates them to their proper place yes. and when yeah. you realize that okay the greeks were sort of grasping in the dark as we all are they got to a certain point, but it's Christ and Christianity that elevates those things to, yeah. to their proper place in the next level. Yeah. Do you think that the reason that this has happened is this idea of the separation between church and state and that people, you know, Christians particularly, don't feel that they have a right to speak into um, the mm. political sphere, for example? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think there's a couple of things happening here. So one is that's definitely a factor, this false vision of church and state separation. Uh, there's a there's a one thing we've also bought into is the lie that like politics was somehow a, a, I don't know a weird sort of separate thing to Christianity when really our Christian calling is to transform and, and to sanctify the world you know take our presence with Christ with us and make the world holy around us and that includes why wouldn't politics be included in that yeah so so there's a bit of a, a mistake there I think also we were there was an aggressive secularism that came uh, really about 20 or so years back and it started to push the voice of the church out of the square and we complied and what we should have done is stood up and said no here's our voice here's why we believe what we believe we have every right to be here you don't have to agree but here we have right we, we didn't we just sort of backed off and then i think also in some sectors of christianity there was a there was a really a, an a, um a focus on the apocalypse and and the end times mm. that caused i think a withdrawal and and also in other places there was like a uh what you might call an angelism where the fixation became on spiritual things only and sort of like natural things were somehow inferior when they're not. You know, God gives all sorts of gifts to the world, including people's natural giftings and, and the natural world is part of that. And our involvement in the ordinary things of life is actually very much part of God's plan too. Mm. And then I think today what we're seeing now is actually interestingly, we're seeing a sort of a, a new version of that ironically, but it's not angelism so much as it, you might call it socialism. And I, and I'm, <laughs> and I, I don't mean... I, that's, that's coming out of my mouth. I, really, I don't mean political <laughs> socialism. What I, what I mean is this fixation on the social element of Christianity, the, the social uh, gospel of going to the poor has now sort of become the, well, that's the thing we should focus on. And those moral things are, are somehow inferior. You know, it, it's, 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 and so what's happened, all of that is that, that we're, the, the voice has been either dulled or not what it should have been. And, and now we're in a very, um, well, we're in a challenging position as a result of all of those things. And, and let's not forget, too, there's all those outside cultural factors and historical, and, and there's all sorts of technologies that played into this as well, but I mean, social media is one example. But um, but even um, even things like uh, the advent of, and by the way, secular thinkers are starting to talk about this now, too. Yes. The That's advent great. of like birth control technology changed our vision of the family and children and all those, and marriage. You know, away from a very sort of Christianized vision of it, everything changed. And yeah. so we're, we're living in though, that culture 
that's that's sort of and, and it's very easy for those things to seep into the church and have a bearing on the church as well yeah do you think that we're possibly in because very much the church is it's swung it's like the pendulum swing or um they use the analogy of the tide is like christendom it recedes for a while things kind of get bad and then like there's a big renewal and it comes back and hopefully we've learned all the lessons that we kind of overshot in the past it's where the pendulum analogy go it comes in because it's like oh uh, we're going in a certain direction it's not a great thing and then we respond by going in the complete opposite direction and it's like okay now we've, we've gone too far the other way and now we've got to shoot back a little bit do you think we're just in this time of receding and that it's actually going to come back again or do you think we're oh, done for and is jesus is going to return and we're going to get raptured tomorrow I don't know. That's that's all in God's hands. And 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 this is the danger. People who, who want to predict the future are often the people who have big, bold ideas about utopias or how to fix the problem. And then often bad things happen. Yeah. You know, yes. If we just kill enough of the right people or put them in camps, then we'll have the bright future we want. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the danger is thinking you know what lies ahead. Yeah. Uh, the reality is I don't know. Uh, people often ask me this, do you think we're in the end times? And I say, I don't know. Ironically, as the truth for us as Christians is the end times began uh, with the moment of Christ's conception. Yes. The mm. moment Christ is conceived and is present on earth and bodily form with us, and first in Mary's womb and then at Christmas in the stable, that's the beginning of the end. That yeah. is the beginning of the end. And we often forget that. So we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. Yeah. And we don't, we don't know what that final point will be. Um, I think, though, th the reality of history is it is a sort of a rise and a collapse, a mm. rise and a collapse. Um, the pendulum often gets talked about. I don't agree with that. I tell you what, I used to think like that, but I tell you, what, I don't agree with that now. Is because one thing it implies that the middle ground might be the the truth, right. you know, might be where the truth is. But in actual fact, like there's periods of Christian history, for example, where we had heresies, and you had one group of heretics who were proposing heretical ideas about, say, Jesus and the scriptures, and they were wrong. And then you had another group on the other side who were completely opposed to them and then you had a third middle group who were trying to go between and the the heretics in the middle group were both wrong and the small minority group turns out sometimes we're actually right yeah and so so the dangers we think with well, the middle ground is always the truth and i think also the other dangers we think well a pendulum is naturally going to swing back but it may not mm. and, and it may actually just keep swinging until bang it hits a brick wall and smash yes and so um I think um, we're in a time, though, with the West now where we've, uh, we've rung certain bells, if you like, that don't really get unrung. And um, it, it, it really, in some ways, COVID is a bit of a warning shot, really, I think, um, of what happens when an outside crisis affects a culture like that. Yeah. But imagine if it was something even worse. COVID's actually relatively mild compared yeah. to what it could have been. Or imagine a major world war or a, a major economic crash that was extremely serious that we couldn't easily recover from. Yeah. You realize at that point, gosh, you know, that could be the thing that pulls the whole house of cards down. If Alien, you like. invasion. Alien invasion. Alien <laughs> invasion. That'll throw, that'll throw a lot of people off. My theology doesn't take this into account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Take me to your overlord. Yeah, take me, to, right. take me to your leader. <laughs> A little bit of revelation in there. Yeah. <laughs> it would be okay if the leader was Elon well, Musk. Well, but... yeah. well, here's the thing, though. Like, like um, well, maybe Musk is the alien. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the, the, um, the thing is, like, you talk about revelations there, Michelle. Mm. Like, this is the beautiful t thing about the Christian um, liturgical cycle and calendar, which, which starts for us um, every year with, um, you know, the high point is the Easter and, and the cross and the resurrection. And then we go through this journey. And, 
And right now we're in, we're about to start Advent, you know, the four weeks before Christmas starts. And Advent isn't just about a preparation and pointing us towards the feast of Christmas when we celebrate the birth of our Savior and sort of a time of preparation for that. It's also traditionally in the Christian um, church, it, it has been a reminder of and a recognition of preparation for the end of all time. Mm. So, you know, when Christ will return again. So this was this is the this is Christ coming to earth. You know we remember at Christmas time and that feast, but when Christ comes and again, and so so it's 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 so important. We should always be thinking about this. I think, um, and even in our own lives, in a small way, um, there is a there is a mini judgment that comes. We all will die, yes. you know, and we should all be prepared for that end times. You know what? I'm not going to die. What are you talking about? <laughs> if I die, it'll be on my own terms, Brendan. Elon Musk, Elon Musk, you'll be plugged into a wall. Socket. Yeah, I'll be plugged it's into Elon a socket Musk. somewhere. Oh my gosh, we'll be here at Thinking Matters, and there'll be a jar, and there's rocks. <laughs> 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 oh, brilliant, brilliant, <laughs> Although brilliant. I'm older than him, so it'll be me first. <laughs> so, you know, I was I was thinking about this because it seems to be that quite often, whenever there is, particularly in the West, whenever there is sort of um, tragedies and and that affect a a mass of people um it's almost like we then start saying oh it's end times it's end times Mm. but for some countries and some sort of societies out there that haven't got that judeo-christian sort of um moral laws and things um they live really in awful situations the whole of their lives so Mm. we sort of forget that actually in the west it's not the whole world there's actually a, a whole globe of, of you know countries and people that aren't living with the blessing that we've managed to inherit because of the foundations of of the West, really. And I think yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and that should that should be a call to us too mm. to say, well, how do we take the gospel? Because this is, I think, another area we've broken down a bit. There's sort of almost like a false ecumenism and a false interreligious dialogue where look, I, I remember reading a funny article about ten years ago, eleven years ago, and it was a group of Muslim scholars. And they were saying, you know, we've actually stopped turning up to a lot of um, interfaith dialogues with Christians because what happens is we turn up and we're ready to actually do battle about what we believe. And all they do is spend all the time apologizing for being Christians and talking about how great Islam is. And they're like, we don't want that. We want you to tell us what you actually believe. And so we can have the, the dialogue and the, and the debate on these issues. And so I think that, you know, that, that we've, we've, that that call that we sh- that should be present is often not, but like Michelle, that we see those other nations, it should be like, well, how do we take the gospel to them? How do we give them the goodness of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think a part of the reason why that maybe that has collapsed is these ideologies in the West at the moment around, you know, imperialism, colonialism, you know, and, and we sort of we think, oh no, we we better not spread the gospel because that might be colonialism. <laughs> it's like, well, it's the kind of spiritual colonialism you actually do want, you know. It is. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the wrong kind of apologetics, apologizing for your faith. <laughs> that's that's, right. yeah. that's why we exist, that's so we, we can sort of help, you know, yeah, expose go. people to be yeah. able to actually defend their faith with other faiths. You yeah, know, awesome. yeah, it's um, it's really important. So, so, and this is a critical moment for the world, really, and particularly the West. And you've talked about um, us being a city on the hill. What does that actually mean? How do we become a city on the hill in the current culture that we're living in? Well, I think really so much of it is about going back to the fundamentals. And I think also um, recognizing, you know, that call to be salt and light is so, so essential to who we are. 
And it's it's an interesting thing. There's there's almost, there's a couple of competing schools of thought out there, if you like, around these sorts of questions. How should the church respond? And I don't think I, I think it's sort of both and often, not either or. And so some people say, well, we just have to present this beautiful vision, and people will want to be part of it. And so we don't sort of speak up as much. Others say, we know we we got to get out there and fight the fight in the arena. And I, I'm always like, well, it's both and. Mm. So we should be the voice, but then the voice should be backed up with something good, true, and beautiful behind it. So people look behind you and say, well, where did you come from? And they look and they see this beautiful community of goodness, truth, and beauty with Christ at the head that has this completely um, countercultural but profoundly authentic vision for the human person and human existence and human flourishing that's obviously grounded first and foremost in Christ. And, and, and that's appealing. Yes. You know, and, and so it's both and, it's not either or. And I think to be that city on the hill, it, it's a juggling act at times, and it's not always easy. Um, but I think it's the first thing is we've got to recognize that we're not supposed to be an NGO, non-governmental organization. We're not there just to, to sort of do nice things for the world. We're, we're here to take the gospel of Christ into the world. Mm. And the gospel of Christ is, at times, it is the most demanding call ever. It's not a call to to do something or to do a few things. It is a call to, to die to self, to give everything. It doesn't get any more extreme when you think about it than that. So we, we've, we've, I think that this is the fundamental we need to go back to is that our calling is to take the gospel of Christ into our culture. But that taking of the gospel into our culture, so first of all, we've got to be going out and taking Christ, proclaiming, but then we also need to back it up with substance. You can't proclaim what you don't first live. You can't proclaim. And, and I think you, you think about even the recent last few years in the church and various scandals and, and all sorts of evils and other things that have become, have, have arisen and we've seen, yeah. you know, various scandals that are written across all sorts of dom- denominations. And so much of that, what's missing is the, the proclamation was there, but the actual substance of, of a genuine striving to be holy with Christ was missing. And so, so, it, it's it's a it's a hypocrisy rather than authenticity that's there, and, and and the light is not really a light at all. You know, it's it's someone effectively. I the, the best example I can give is it's almost like someone waving a brightly coloured paper and saying, "Look at this amazing light." And it's it's not really light, is it? It's just brightly coloured paper. Mm. And 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 as opposed to when you light a fire and it really does, you know, there's heat there as well as light. There's there's a, there's a voice, but there's also something that's lived the voice speaks out of and i think that's so fundamental for us and it has that means that i think to to get that started that has to begin with us and within our families and small communities yeah, yeah. definitely the authenticity thing i've been hearing a lot about lately is just like it's just i mean the, the world's version of authenticity is like oh you just have to be your true self sort of thing mm. like that but then the, the no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the christian view on that is like yeah well you have to be your true self but your true self has to be a reflection of christ it's and, and like redeemed. And, and redeemed yeah it's yeah. um your, your your true identity is through christ he made you as an individual but collectively we're the body of christ and if yeah. you can't you know walk those walk the christian walk when you do the talk then it's like then work needs to be done you know a great example was paul you know he was a very new convert in scripture and you know and he might have started preaching the gospel as soon as he was converted but then you know they don't talk too much about his 17 years or whatever it was where he was just getting in depth and really being renewed before he went out on his first mission trips yeah that's right and and i think that that's that that sense of um 
you know, authenticity is not simply the, the, the trap and what you've identified there, Rowan, is that people put themselves often. Oh, you'll be your authentic self. What you're really saying is just be yourself. Be what you feel you want. Yeah. So I put myself, what really should come first in that is authentic. Authenticity. Yeah. That's truth. And so what is the truth that we should conform to? Yeah. Not not what what should people see of me just doing whatever I feel and then saying, oh, this is the authentic me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, but, I that, mean, but that might be really wrong. Hitler yeah. was being his authentic self. Yeah, he was being his authentic self. We don't, you know, we don't so. want that. So, yeah, you, you know? just gotta you just gotta live your best Aryan self. I mean, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I guess that. I guess that goes back to uh, you know with Greek thinking there was that idea of the logos and you know mm. um, the the word and it was like you know every chair might be a chair but there's one ultimate chair up there yes. and and the, the yeah. same goes for humans that there would be one ultimate human that we're all a dim reflection of and this concept so hence why when John writes in the beginning was the word and the word what yeah. was God he's he's using the word logos because it's the truth it's the it's the original thing you know he's trying to speak to greeks here you know yeah and, yeah, so and, and we often forget that too that that's that such a good point that christ is the fullness of god's self self-revelation to humanity saying this is who i am yeah and it's in christ and and we often forget that point about him being the literal word word of god you know? yeah and, and and the word that speaks too yeah like people heard him people heard the word <laughs> i mean like heard it we, yeah, and we still hear it. We get to hear it because somebody else heard it, you know? Yeah, they wrote it down. They wrote it down, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, not ironically. So basically what you're saying is that we really need to start, if we want to make a difference in our culture, we need to start getting real and actually getting serious about our faith and yeah. not being so felt focused on the outside, focused on the material, but actually really digging in and thinking eternally because I think sometimes we do, we've got so much particularly in the West, we've got so much um, mm. materialistically and that just tends to take over and we can forget about the eternal aspect of our lives as well. And that's when it, it does become easier to deny yourself and to, you know, think of others before yourself and to really dig into your faith. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's got a, there's so much that's missing often and you're right that, that there's got to be um yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be a grounding in Christ and what is true. The, the real trap is to want to just go along to get along, mm. you know, and just think, well, if we're just comfortable and we don't rock the boat too much, we'll be okay. Well, I would humbly suggest the time for that sort of approach is, it's, it, I don't think it ever was the time for no. that, but it's long gone because we're living in a culture now where there's a lot of ideologues who are not happy to let you just go along. They want you to convert to their gospel and to their doctrines. So to avoid that, you've got to know, well, what are we? Who are we? What are we called to be? And it's got to be lived, I think, too. And it, it, it can't just be a, a, a belief in Christ that is simply what you might call Sunday Christianity, where mm. you turn up on a Sunday, go through set of motions, no matter how impressive and loving and awesome that might be, and then you go home and the rest of your nine to five, Monday to, to Saturday, just doesn't really look any different. Mm. You know, Christians should, there should be something about Christianity that really, our lives are steeped in, and then that will have a bearing on, I think, our, our ability to actually influence the world around us if we look and smell different. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we were talking about that with Becky um, Birmingham recently and just that whole seeker-friendly um, aspect of, mm. of Christianity that kind of hasn't really helped us because we have become more like the culture than yeah. um, being counterculture, countercultural. Um, well, well I, th I think to that, on that point, mm. it's so spot on, and I think, 
like for me so i'm 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 my i've i've, I've been i was in the evangelical um pentecostal church for about 10 years um i'm a um i'm a catholic so i'm you know everyone goes oh catholics <laughs> you know um and, and, and you're an uh, irish catholic with the last yeah, name irish, catholic, so the worst, what else are you going worst, to be <laughs> that's right, the, the worst kind yeah um and 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 so um and but there's there's um I, one thing i've noticed actually that's it's interesting i often i have, I have a lot of um friends that i move in a lot of circles who are actually like reform church people and it's it seems to me that often now that in the current crisis and the current culture that reform ironically reformed and catholic christians have a lot more in common than ever before uh, but one of the things i think that's really important is the richness of um of those authentic traditions of christianity that we that we sort of cling to that actually allow us to be countercultural. Mm. um i talked about like the liturgical calendar of the christian church it's a way um i often describe it like this it's a way of living in the world but not of the world you know you follow the calendar but you have your own calendar as well that's all centered around christ mm. and the important milestones of his journey and 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 it's things like that they're so very real and simple but so countercultural and so transformative. Even the idea of a family, a Christian family, stopping to pray together each day in silence or sitting around a meal table together. Hmm. I mean, the, the, that, that's norm. This is sort of Christian culture in a sense, but uh, outside of the church, a lot of people have lost even just the ability to find a moment of peace in the day. Yeah. Let alone a moment of peace with Christ. Yeah. Well, uh, isn't it, uh, it's that, that book by Ian Grant, uh, Fathers Who Dare Wins, because they obviously do a lot on, you know, family and just talking about how important tradition actually is. Is like mm. it doesn't actually matter necessarily what traditions, but as long as traditions exist in in your family, and the tradition can be a daily one, like sitting down to share a meal, could be a weekly one, going to church, mm. or you know, um, my my wife's family they used to always go to church, and then they always used to always go to Planet Hollywood restaurant afterwards, you know, <laughs> yeah. and there was like a really yeah. incredible yeah. tradition tradition, and it was it's like so memorable, it just implanted something uh, really powerful, and then yeah, annual traditions, and you know, obviously societies wanted to try and get rid of all of those ones and so it's even even amongst christians they've started to feel those traditions sort of whipped out from underneath them and um, ian grant just talks about how important that is for bringing up well-rounded you know the next generation is well-rounded secure feeling secure knowing that there are these um sort of solid waypoints in their life that you know they're always going to be there you can always rely on them and then that just gives a platform to live a more authentic life off of well, well, you know what else they do? They actually build community, yeah, an authentic community, because you have a shared. These they're like touchstones that you all know and you all share together. Um, and and you know what? In this time of COVID and the pandemic, you realise just how important those Christian communal traditions and shared feasts mm. and celebrations are. So just recently in, in the Christian calendar, we had the Feast of Christ the King. I mean, what a more, <laughs> you know, a more important feast. I want to be on funny. that feast. <laughs> well, I tell you, and this is a feast too. So this is a feast that's actually shared across a lot of Christian denominations. Mm. Uh, there's lots of even different Protestant Christian, Christian denominations who have it as well. And so it's, it's quite, it's almost a universal one. And in the Catholic calendar, it is literally Christ the King is the final Sunday of the liturgical year. Then you start Advent the next mm. Sunday. And so the, the way you end the liturgical year is Christ is King. Mm. And it's a reminder that he is King and he will be King for eternity and he will reign supreme when he returns again. Yeah. And so there's, but what happens is that's a feast day. We, we celebrate it. Our kids get, they know they get ice creams and you know, it's like, yeah, Christ the King. <laughs> yes. And, and, but there's something about that, that you, you have a whole Christian community, a group of Christians around that celebration. 
And it's not just that they have community forming around it, but it's also their identity is very much grounded in, you know, Christ is our king. We are his loyal, faithful subjects. What does that mean? You know, it's quite profound how those those traditions really do matter. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the things about the more traditional churches is that they have Mm. these beautiful liturgies and it's just a cause for people to come together and and really focus in on Jesus Mm. and and on what he's done for us. So I think um, there's almost, I wonder if it's partly driven by social media, but there's almost a renaissance of that sort of, yeah. following advent for example i've never heard of it heard of it actually <laughs> <laughs> and then you know over the last couple of years things kept popping up on my newsfeed, and i was like oh wow this is amazing and started taking part in it and um yeah so there's there's an absolute um there's something so special about it and i think one of those things is it actually slows you down you yeah. actually stop yeah. in all the busyness of our lives right now. We yeah. stop, we focus on Christ um, as a family or, you know, as a community. And I think that's so important. And that's one oh, of the blessings oh, of look, it. Look, look, it's huge. Like, and, and it's funny you should mention Advent because like right now I, with, with my men's group in my church, we've, we've started gathering together our weekly meetings. And, and for, for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, we gather together to pray and reflect on um, Advent-themed scriptures and issues mm. and so it's 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 what's happens is and like even in our family home as well like you know our christmas tree goes up on the first sunday of advent that's because that's traditionally when you're supposed to put it up for those who are already playing the mariah oh, Carey, oh, don't, don't, you're all heretics <laughs> don't tell and, um, my don't tell my sister she's put it up she put it up in we, october we're always first in november <laughs> we might have to change it yeah. i know i know and people i know got it up in september you're like what are you doing yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so yeah it, it's and so first of all putting up the christmas tree is a bit of a tradition in our house and then we also have this little board we made when the kids were really, really young. And I got this, um, like one of those felt um, notice boards, uh, pin boards, you know, a uh, cork notice boards. And it's sort of a slight, you know, about yay big. And um, what I did was I, I, we started this when our eldest daughter was just a baby, actually. And I, I, I got one of those little good news Bible stencils of Mary and Joseph and the donkey and sort of did my best to copy it. That's right in the middle of this cork board with a, a black vivid marker. And then we've got these little Christmas trees with a number on them. And we start each night when we say our family prayers in Advent leading up to Christmas, we added one of the kids gets to add another tree and we say a little prayer for something. And then by the time we get to the middle, bang, we've arrived, at, you know, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And, 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 and so, cool. so for our family, it's like, it's a time of preparation. It's not just, oh man, Christmas is here. Oh, we've got the kids. We've got the pudding. You know, it's like, <laughs> stress, stress, it's, stress. Yeah. And it's been, and it's been this moment. And now what we're getting to, to, to now in our family is, well, Hold on, why do we need so many presents for our kids? Why don't, why don't we strip that back now and actually, again, really, really focus it in on what it is, which is the celebration of the birth of Christ. Yeah. And, and, and it's, um, but, but, but that's always been what it's about. And, and it's that, that um, drawing aside. I, I, it's funny, Michelle, you should say oh, social media because I've noticed actually and uh, across all of my friends, uh, whether, they, um, whether they're Protestant, Catholic or whatever, there's been a real resurgence now and people actually participating in Lent yes. in the lead up to Easter as yes, well. I've seen true. a lot of yes. that, you know, and it's fascinating. People, evangelical friends of mine who would have probably 20 years ago would have gone, what's Lent? <laughs> who are yeah. now like, yeah, what are you doing for Lent? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a really social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what are you giving up? <laughs> yeah, well, there's, I think there's been a great realization of just the absolute excess that we have in the West, especially amongst Christians who actually you know who who actually have some perspective on like actually this is all it and realizing you know we've got into we've got access to all the information we could possibly ever want there's nothing you know we live 
better now than the king of france at nearly any points in human history you know like and so to be able to go it's just like no i really need to uh sort of deprive myself of these and really remember what's important um you know and frankly i think that makes all those other things actually enjoyable you know yeah it's so true well and it leaves room for christ really because it's a those little denials like fasting is a long-standing christian aesthetic Mm, yeah all christians have known and should be doing regular fasting all uh, that's a problem. <laughs> always been everyone goes what what, yeah. what? i wasn't looking but, at anybody yeah <laughs> well it's, <laughs> that, that scripture always tripped me up it says when you fast i'm like when oh I, <laughs> when, it's not if oh, when, when do you fast yeah. <laughs> um, so um yeah it, it's that that fasting for example isn't just so you've got more i used to think it was just so you have more time for prayer but it's also a moment of personal self-sacrifice. Hmm. And it's a little reminder. Those little hunger pains are a tiny little reminder of the, the suffering of Christ on the cross for, for us out of love. Hmm. And it's our, it's our way of reminding ourselves and calling ourselves back to who we're supposed to be, which is to be Christ in the world, which means a call to self-giving love, self-denial. And you're right, stripping away the consumerism and the, the greed and the self-gratification and saying no. No, actually, um, my life is about a journey towards heaven. And if this is the narrow, the hard path, mm. and sometimes we actively need to remind ourselves that that's yeah. the case. It's a recalibration. Oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to take an altar call then, Brendan. Yeah. I, was, I would have responded, you know. <laughs> He's always ready for an altar call. I was like, ah, oh, gee. Who wants, to, who wants to join my fasting program? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a week. Does intermittent fasting count? Yeah, yeah. What sure. am I paying for? Uh, just inspiration. Just inspiration, yeah. Love <laughs> yeah. food. It's excellent. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been um, pretty amazing. And, oh. um, yeah, just love spending time with you. You've, you've just got so much knowledge. Um, we've kind of come to the end really we've got a couple of things that we'd like to ask you and one of them is do you have any book recommendations for our listeners oh gosh i know you read prolifically Um, so yeah yeah. (laughs) here's first thing i'd say in general try and read a book a week if you can or if you can't do that we we can't all do that right sometimes it's hard big books try and read a book a month try try and get through 12 books in a year if you can um but but in general what i'd say is um Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is a very, very important book. I think it's not a huge read either. Um, This is a man who spent time in five different concentration camps, a Jewish psychologist. Spent time, his his wife and unborn child were killed at Auschwitz by the Nazis. And he wrote this profoundly beautiful book about authentic meaning. And it is so grounded in in that vision of who God is and who we are. Um, So that's a really good book. Um, More recently, um, a couple of good ones that I recommend is I think uh, Rod Dreyer, he's written quite a few books that are quite good. The Benedict Option is very good and also Live Not By Lies, which is his latest book. And, yes. and they, they give, I think, very practical insights into the culture we're living in and how we can really live a good counterculture of, of authentic faith within that. And then I think on top of that, I would say read the classics. Try and Now, if you're someone who struggles and says, I don't have time to read, how do I do that? I'm so busy. You probably walk. You probably catch buses. You probably drive. Get yourself a subscription to Audible mm. and, and, and do it that way. I'm serious. You, you, you'll discover you can actually read a lot more. And so um, we have a lot of downtime often that could be we could be forming could ourselves. Could be utilizing and, it in something. Yeah, yeah. And, and get into the get, – <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I often do that. I, I, I Saturday morning lawn work or whatever. I spend a couple of hours and I, I chew through chapters just as I'm mowing the lawns. Mm. Um, I think also um, – Read, read the classics too. They are so many of them are steeped in a bygone era, 
where, where Christianity was, people just lived and breathed Christian thought. And, 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 you know, whether it's someone like Dante in his Inferno or Corrie ten Boom, you know, telling her story or Brother Andrew God's Smuggler, these books are just steeped in a, in a different sort of vision of, of reality that's authentic. And so those classics, are, are, are I think they elevate us upwards as well. Mm. Yeah. Totally agree. Those are great recommendations. We'll put those in the show notes as well. And finally, do you have a word of encouragement that you would like to share with our listeners today? Oh, gosh, that's well, that's always a challenge, isn't it? it? Ask an Irishman (laughs) to say something positive. Well, at least we're not all dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) None of us died in the potato famine, you know. That's right, yeah. Uh, You're not as ugly as you were the other day. (laughs) Um, No, I I would say word of encouragement is, is... uh, look, just cling to Christ first and foremost. And secondly, no matter who you are, what you're going through, Christ is there with you, present. Um, and, and I would say, no matter what stage you might be at on that journey, uh, don't ever forget that, that, that the Father looks at you with this profound gaze of love and, and that he desires nothing more than to have you just sit and, and to talk to him. You know, we often think of being in relationship with Christ, I think, is about... Um, doing certain things or mm. going through certain motions or praying a certain way appeasing the deity really, yeah it's <laughs> it's as simple as just saying lord i'm having a really tough time at the moment and just sitting there um i'll tell you one thing that i found really encouraging actually is uh I, I recently was at an event where they did what they sometimes called imaginative prayer and it's it's it sounds kooky but it's not and it was it was actually just thinking about the nativity and christmas and stuff like that and it was like just imagine yourself being there watching what was unfolding in the stable. And it's this process of just sort of putting yourself in that moment and contemplating, wow, the birth of Christ is about to happen. You know, what would that have been like? So, so just, I would say, spend that kind of time where it's just you and Christ turn off the Netflix and, and, and no matter what your struggle is or no matter how imperfect you think you are, don't panic. Don't panic. None of us have got this all together. None of us have got it figured out. We've all got our struggles and challenges and the messes that we make. Just keep clinging to Christ, keep being faithful, keep loving him. And I tell you what, you know, good things will happen and he will use you to transform the world around you. Amen. Amen. Love that. Thank you so much, Brendan. We've just enjoyed this conversation and as always, and um, we really appreciate you giving your time to be with us today. No, it was my pleasure. This is, uh, you know, God's given me certain gifts and I they're so life-giving for me to be able to use them. And I, I'm just, yeah, hopefully people find any some benefit from it. And as I always say, any good that came from today that you get from today, all credit goes to God, all the rubbish, that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brendan. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thinking Matters is a donor-supported organization, so if you've enjoyed this podcast today and want to see even more, then please consider supporting the ministry at support.thinkingmatters.org.nz. And while you're there, you can also check out our other new and upcoming resources. Thank you.